This is football. I'm Kevin Clark. I'm going to do a quick thing on the Bills and then get to the potential of two season-ruining type teams existing in the AFC. But about 90 seconds ago, relative to when we were recording this, um, the Giants called a very weird pass play on an untimed down at the one to lose the game that the Bills desperately tried to hand to them. Two missed field goals. How's this for a stat? In the first half, the Bills snapped the streak of halves with a point. Okay? Haven't said how many halves they, they had in a row where they had a point, but it snapped. Here's the number. It was 60 halves. They'd played 60 halves and scored in each of them until tonight. This was not normal. Two takeaways from that. Number one, the AFC is not what we thought it was. I've hammered that home over and over and over again. I came into the season thinking that the AFC was going to be this gauntlet of elite quarterbacks mixed with stacked rosters. And really, there's no perfect team. And we say that every single year, except I came into this thing. There were five candidates for that kind of team and that just none exist. Everybody's played an imperfect game. Most have played multiple. And the Bills are pretty far from being that kind of team. Like maybe on some sort of third tier right now in the AFC because they are, they've played a handful of clunkers, A. Um, and then they could have lost this game very, very, very easily. And then the roster just, so first of all, like they were picking them Kyrie Lum tonight. Kyrie Lum was a first round pick two years ago. Like where's Brandon Bean in this? Now they seem to have hit on two young offensive rookies this year. That's great. But like the depth isn't there to augment an expensive old roster. Matt Milano goes down. I don't know how they replace him. He's not only the dolphin stopper, he's one of the best players at his position in football. And third in the NFL in spending on what amounts to high price veterans. I don't even know what you would call it, but they spend a lot of money on a lot of guys. Um, and they can't afford to start losing those guys. And this is what they are. Like this is their final, their final form. Um, and so not a lot of depth, not a lot of positivity from tonight. And, I don't think like I'm going to get into my next little rant how I just think we've we've gone too far into drawing so many conclusions from each game. Um and by the way, this a couple weeks ago this was a damn team that beat the Dolphins who are the hottest team in football and the darling of everybody, but they've gotten injured since then. Um and they've played worse since then. And the Dolphins have have won their clunkers as they say in college. Um, so that's where I'm at right now. Just, it's just a quick thought on the bills. It's just like, are they the team we thought they were? That's all this is. That's all the sport is. It's a little referendums, little check-ins. Are you on track to be the team I thought you were? Okay, good. Are the bills? No, no, The giants are not. The giants are a lot better than I thought. Brian Dable mismanaged the game, but I didn't think they were going to have any, any competitiveness at all. I thought the, I thought the giants were ready to pack it in. Um, now, our buddy Greg Rosenthal just tweeted like Brian Dable loves telling people when when it's somebody else's fault. Extremely valid criticism. Um, but man, they should have won this game. 
end of half scenario, let's say Tyrod checked into a run, don't give him the option to check into a run. Easy. Problem solved. Um, so mixed bag on Sunday night. I don't want to take too much time on it. I'll get out of it now, but um that's my concern with the Bills. The Bills should not be in these types of games, A, and B, they should not be begging the other team to win it. Begging. Sloppy, poor game plan. Ken Dorsey, buddy, I know you love the shotgun, but take it easy. Take it easy. Some of these short yardage stuff, I hate it. I just... I, I, Dable being on the other sideline probably made it even worse for everybody. Um, Dable is probably looking at the Bills going, what the hell are you doing, Dorsey? Anyway, that's it. Uh, here's a little rant on two other AFC teams. The Jets and the Browns with the surprise of the afternoon, you shouldn't be surprised by either of them. Um, the win, especially with the Browns over the Niners, was... Maybe it was a shock to the system or whatever, but the fact that game was competitive, even with a backup quarterback, um, if you've watched the Browns defense this year, and that's why I did the whole thing a couple weeks ago about how they win the Super Bowl, there's a path there. Um, you should not be surprised. They have given up a tick over a thousand yards through five games. That's the best mark in 50 years. Third best mark since the merger. So like basically modern football, they're the best. Um, the Jets now have gone against Allen, Mahomes, and Hertz, and none of those quarterbacks got over a 64 rating. That was Mahomes. Hertz today was three picks, 60 rating, 27 to 43. Um, there's a couple of structural things I want to talk about. Number one, I do think that, and I'm going to get to the Purdy discourse and all the talk radio stuff or whatever. But I don't think it's much of a surprise that there are a couple of defenses this year that can set the floor so high that they can a team can win any game and can probably not only make the playoffs, but win a playoff game. I don't think the Browns or the Jets can win two playoff games, certainly not three playoff games, and certainly not four playoff games. But they can win, like, it'd be a nightmare to face that team in the first round. And with the way the AFC is going, where we thought it was going to be eight deep, now it's like four deep. Yeah, if you can, if you're playing coin toss games in the fourth quarter all the time, like those two teams did today, like you're going to win a bunch. Um, and so, like, here's a great stat: the Jets are five of twenty-four on third and fourth down in the last two weeks. They're two and zero in those games. Like, what does that tell you? Like, this defense can do it. But anyway, so when I was doing some research in August, I noticed how. Like everybody knows now, by now the deep ball is kind of dead. Like the cover two put put lids on on the deep ball, but like the way that quarterbacks changed over the last year, the yards per catch, yards per completion, whatever you want to call it, league wide last year was the lowest since the merger. Um, the passing will always be more efficient than running the ball, but I believe yards per rush was higher than it had been in decades last year as well. And so you're getting into a situation where I felt like it was the pendulum could swing back a little bit. You get some of these defensive teams that took advantage of more conservative play calling, um, more conservative quarterback play, uh, quarterbacks that weren't lighting it up in the same way. Like the passing boom, I think people don't really understand this. The passing boom in 2011 like changed 
not only the way like football stats are viewed to where like Zach Wilson will have a better QB rating his entire career than like Jim Kelly or like anybody who's ever who played before we were born. Like that's just going to happen. Like Dan Marino's numbers against like Tyrod Taylor's won't even stack up. Right. Unless it's like 1954 season. That's just how, how, how everything changed. But it also basically made it so you had to be 11 unicorns on defense, Legion of Boom, the Denver team, whatever. Um, but I think there's been a streamlining, maybe an efficiency that's, that's developed uh, with defenses where you know you have to have a great front seven and then you have to have at least a solid back end. By the way, the two, the two Jets cornerbacks who were really good didn't even play today. Um, and so what do we have here? We have two offenses that I think everybody thought we're going to meet in the NFC title game and will still most likely meet in the NFC title game that were, I mean, like Robert Sally used the term embarrassed, I think, about what, what the Jets do to opposing quarterbacks. I think there's all sorts of qualifiers, like Lane Johnson leaving the game, Trent Williams leaving the game. Like they, Good Morning Football did that little thing a couple of weeks ago where they did, uh, and I thought it was really interesting exercise, rank your top five Niners. Like the three best Niners on the offensive side of the ball, Christian McCaffrey, Trent Williams, and Debo Samuel were out in the second half. That's important. That's important context. If the Niners had uh, did not run the worst possession time-wise of the season in the fourth quarter, this might have been different. If the referee had made two different decisions against uh, the Niners that were borderline at best, this would have been different. If they made the damn kick, this would have been different. But it shows you that there are at least some defenses that are floating around that are absolute bear traps. And by the way, the Niners don't have to worry about seeing the NFC's best defense because they've got it. And because Fred Warner is the guy, maybe he should win defensive player of the year, another pick today. But Fred Warner is the most equipped linebacker in the NFL to stop the Niners offense. So like that's that's a good little that's a good little trick is avoiding the NFC's best defense. Um and so in the AFC right now, you've got a very strange conference because I think we all thought Aaron Rodgers, Justin Herbert and the Chargers, all of these teams that we thought were going to be 12, 13 win teams are not revealing themselves to be that. So why can't one of these defensive teams get in the playoffs, A, maybe they both can, and B, win a playoff game? Ruin a season. That's what these two teams are. That's what the Browns and the Jets are. They are season ruiners. I do not for one second believe the fantasy that Aaron Rodgers is going to come back. I saw the video. Like we've, We can go over it. Like This is not how medical science works. It is how Aaron Rodgers works. He would want this kind of attention. God bless him. But I like Aaron Rodgers. I know what he's doing, and I, I, I approve of it. I might do it. He's trying to make himself the star of a, of a show in a game he cannot star in, which is great. But the Browns and the Jets have revealed themselves to be season ruiners for whoever has the misfortune. For God's sakes, I want the buy right now in the AFC if I can get it. Might be why the Dolphins are maybe in the catbird seat. Um, because if you think these teams can't do this to the Dolphins on one Sunday, one Saturday in January, completely wrong. You are completely wrong. Bryce Huff, 
for the Jets generated nine pressures on 28 pass rushes on Sunday. Um, 25% p- pressure rate over the past two seasons, only player in the NFL over 22%. Um, and again, like Lane Johnson, I saw this unbelievable stat seems completely fake, but I'm sure it's right that he had not allowed a, a sack in over 2,400 snaps dating back to 2020. So maybe this is we're overblowing this small sample size, whatever. But these guys are season ruiners. A couple things within this game I want to unpack. Number one, guess what Brock Purdy is? He's a normal NFL quarterback. And we all talked in circles and we ate our own tails and said, oh, well, Brock Purdy's this, 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 blah, blah, blah. Here's what he is. Very easy to map it out. He's not bad. He's better than Jimmy Garoppolo. And he's a normal quarterback. He is a product of his surroundings. You can count on one hand the quarterbacks who are not, by and large, a product of their surroundings. There's no shame in Brock Purdy being one of those. He benefits from his coach. He benefits from the talent around him. He benefits, in most cases, from good weather, which he has had. He did not have it on Sunday. The wheels absolutely fell off. Um, So there you go. So like Niners fans got over their skis and said, you have to give credit to Brock Purdy. Well, why? Because he had played four good games this year and a, and and a half a season last year. Like the, this is, let's just wait for the ebbs and flows of a of a quarterback career. This is what we have. We have a normal quarterback who's doing what Kyle Shanahan is asking him to do. You can go back and listen to all the episodes where we talk about what Kyle wants, why he wants it, the differentiation between him and someone like Trey Lance and someone like Jimmy Garoppolo, whatever. But that's what Brock Purdy is, a normal quarterback. And we don't need to, I don't know if this is debate shows or what. We, I, I don't, I don't love like the credit. We have to do credit pies. Oh, we, who, who, who's responsible for this part of the offense? Like the answer is they're a, they're a bully and a tank and they roll over people. And Kyle Shanahan helps that. And Brock Birdie is extremely lucky to be in that position. And Kyle Shanahan is lucky that he found someone who can execute the way he wants it done. So that's, that's where I'm at in Brock Purdy. I actually don't want to hear anything about Brock Purdy for a while. Um, so that's what that is. Jim Schwartz is now 9-1 and one as a coordinator or a play caller against Kyle Shanahan as a head coach or coordinator or play caller. And I don't. I, people are like, well, what's the scheme reason? Well, first of all, the wide nine, which is the defense Jim Schwartz uses, which by the way, the Niners use as well. Talk about mirror images. Um. Takes away the outside stuff, outside run stuff. So that could be part of it. But I think, and I reading Kyle's quotes from midweek as they asked him about this going into the week, prescient. Um, he basically said that they they rushed the passer first and asked questions later, was essentially to paraphrase it. And um I think without Christian McCaffrey for most of the game, without Trent Williams for most of the high leverage plays, um, that just ended up biting them. A little bit disrupting Brock Purdy's timing, and again, like that's it. He's a normal quarterback, and Brock Purdy under pressure, under that front seven with the back back end playing really well. Like that's that's just kind of that's just kind of what happens. Um, and so I don't know. Like I, I this is not one thing I would not do is on Monday start arguing this says something huge about the Eagles or the Niners. I mentioned the health thing, but also like, I kind of feel like we've gotten to this like college 
college type deal where every single win and loss is a referendum on a franchise. And it's like sometimes weird stuff just happens. It's fine. It's fine. I'd rather if you're if you said to me that and by the way, like speaking of college, Nick Saban, what, three years ago said good defense no longer beats good offense. That was the biggest change of his football life. And in the NFL, I think this, the pendulum is swinging back. And I think that's an important – I think in college it hasn't just because of how many points are acquired at the barrier for entry. But in the pros, I think it's starting to. Um, and so if I'm to take away anything from what I saw – on Sunday, it's not some grand statement about Brock Purdy. I already kind of knew who he was. It was you guys who didn't. All the people yelling about it on Twitter. Um, and it's not I like the Eagles are going to have well, – I Jalen Hurts had some bad throws. Brian Johnson clearly is still getting comfortable getting in the rhythm on offense and play calling. I'm not too worried about that stuff. That stuff gets worked out of the course of the year. With the way the CBA is structured, with the way training camp is structured, with the way nobody plays in preseason, like teams are a work in progress in November and December. Mitch Schwartz was on the show a couple days ago and basically saying like teams, good teams who know they're going to be there in January, they use this time to find their identity. So now all of a sudden I'm going to go from that to like, uh-oh, panic time for Jalen Hurts. No, I'm not going to do that. But what I am going to do, if I'm taking anything away from this weekend, it's that there are two defenses – hiding in plain sight who can ruin your season if you see them in January. And I would do everything I can not to play one of those teams on like January 20th. Tickets to the game, merch, meals at iconic restaurants, stays at Caesars Palace. All this can be yours when you bet with Caesars Sportsbook. Win or lose, every bet earns reward credits, which you can redeem across the empire. Now, if you haven't started yet, use the code Omaha full and then place your first bet up to $1,250. If you win, great. You keep those winnings. But if you lose, you get your stake back as a bonus bet. 21 and up only offer valid and must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Maine, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming only. New users and first $10 wager only must wager with eligible promo code bet Amount of qualifying wager return only if wager is settled as a loss. Maximum bonus bet $1,250. Bonus bet expires 14 days after receipt. Tier credits and reward credits will be added to account within seven days after qualifying wager settles. See Caesars.com slash promos for full terms. Void where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Hannah's New Orleans. Maine, call 1-800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-888-427-426-2537 or West Virginia. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. All right, Flynn, listener questions. We got some good ones today. 
We did. First up, we're going to hear from his Dirkness. He asks, are the 2022 Bengals and 2023 Bengals a Spider-Man meme? So if you're not online, I'm very jealous of you. Um, But it's pretty simple to a Spider-Man pointing another Spider-Man. So what his Dirkness is asking is, it's the same team as last year. Uh, No, because... Joe Burrow's still not back. He had that incredible scramble. But here to me is what's more interesting. So the Bengals beat the Seahawks, a good Seahawks team. Seahawks have four trips to the red zone in the second half. They score three points on those possessions. That's really bad. Um, But this was a Bengals defensive story, keeping them in there. They had, uh, in the last... Four years, four seasons, there have only been four defenses to have four different players generate six pressures. Today, the Bengals were one of them. Um, Sam Hubbard had nine pressures, eight of which came on the Seahawks' right tackle, Jake Curran. Um, So we knew this roster was stacked. We knew, and one of the reasons I predicted that they would win the Super Bowl is like it's not just the roster, it's the coaching staff too. Like why is Lou Lou Anarumo wins a bunch of games that, that he shouldn't? The roster keeps that team in games when Joe Burrow's not at his most efficient. And so the fact that Joe Burrow's getting better, not he's not there yet by any means. He had a couple scrambles. He was very inconsistent today. The fact that there's still a work in progress on the offensive side of the ball, maybe this is bad process again, but I'm I'm feeling pretty good about that. Um, that they could they could have a grace period and a bridge to figure this out um going forward. So I don't think they're the Spider-Man meme, but I wouldn't be surprised if we get there and they're just all of a sudden playing the AFC title game. Up next, Sam McAnally. Can a coach be too good such that he gets in the way of a true rebuild? Should you ride with that coach through years of mediocrity and relative overachieving, hoping to stumble upon a generational QB in the teens? Asking as a Titans fan. So, uh... This was a great question, and I think we go back and forth on this. Would you rather have the guy who's going to always keep you competitive, your Mike Tomlins, your Mike Vrabels, uh, eventually your your Dan Campbells, who I think is in that zone right now, um, or would you rather totally flush out, hire a new guy, kind of like what Jacksonville did, right? Get Trevor Lawrence couple things about that. Number one, I, I am a huge Mike Vrabel fan. I just think the program he's built is really good. Number two, is it like, so, so this goes back to kind of a controversial point that I've made before, which is that there's a couple people in football who just like don't believe quarterback prospects exist in the way we think, where like, Again, I'm gonna this is gonna I'm gonna get so over my skis here. And I'm not even sure I believe this, but I've heard this bandied about by both people inside the league and, and then outside the league. Um there's actually a famous economist, Richard Taylor, who uh influenced the Browns to think this way for a while. Um, that basically, or at least he influenced the Browns, but then separately he thinks like this, right? Uh he invented a lot of like the trading back ideas that were espoused by a lot of people in the league 20 years ago. Anyway, um he kind of believes that there's no such thing as a elite quarterback prospect. There's no Andrew Luck type, which, by the way, the, Andrew Luck wasn't an Andrew Luck type when you look at his career, right? He just became a shorthand for generational prospect, and he didn't even win a Super Bowl. 
um, for obvious reasons. Like he got put into a bad situation, got the crap knocked out of him, couldn't get go through injuries, but that just shows you how fragile a quarterback prospect can be. But his point, Richard's point was always that a lot of times the franchise creates the quarterback prospect and not the other way around. And so like, would you rather be a winning program with a B plus quarterback right now, or be the Jacksonville Jaguars where you're not totally sure what's going on with the franchise, but you have the guy who is deemed a generational quarterback in draft. Um, I think it's probably worth noting that a lot of the guys we consider to be the top, top, top guys were not considered to be that. Either we're not the fir- first quarterback drafted, like Mahomes or Josh Allen, or remember, Joe Burrow was not considered the first overall pick until November the year before. Tua, it was, it was tank for Tua was the big thing. And so I think we're, we're pro- we probably overstate our ability to know what the generational prospect is. And so, like, who's to say that Riley Leonard isn't the best quarterback in next year's first round. I'd rather have, I'm not saying, I'd, this, I, the question is not, would you rather have Mike Vrabel or Caleb Williams? I'd probably rather have Caleb Williams just based on what I know. Um, or if I was, if I was a neutral franchise, if I was the Chargers and or, or, or the, the Raiders and given that option. Right. But I'd rather have the winning program than the lottery ticket of a generational quarterback. If you're just giving me the choice without without names attached, so I'm riding with Mike Vrabel, 99 times out of 100, and I'm riding with them here. Up next is Headley Hoops, who asks: Is a Desmond Ritter 300 yard passing game the worst thing to happen this season in Atlanta? Wow. Um, no, the worst thing to happen was Arthur Smith saying that Drake London doesn't care about his zero catch game. Um, so I know what this question is and it's, it's like, do they, is he going to stick with Desmond Ritter? I don't think, first of all, the Falcons have been playing the same game every single Sunday for two years, every single Sunday. I saw a stat the like a couple hours ago. that was like, I think Des- Desmond Ritter has like never gotten any of his over props in the first half in a game. Like it is like some historic number. Like they, they start slow. You have no idea what's going on. They're, it's a coin toss game, and then they either make a play or don't with four and a half minutes in the fourth quarter to go. Like this is the same game over and over and over again. So I don't think I don't think anything the Desmond Ritter can do is going to keep them from trying to upgrade. But then again, like I didn't think Desmond Ritter was was going to come in a year ago and, and be the unquestioned starter. Like that's also a theme of this show. Is like. Desmond Ritter coming in, like his biggest selling point was it wasn't Marcus Mariota, something I bought into. By the way, the NFC South is going to be a disaster. We might be just looking at it and saying, okay, well, they're going to make the playoffs anyway. I think they're going to try to to replace Desmond Ritter in some way, but I also think they're going to be too good for, for a really good draft pick or a really good quarterback in the draft in a quarterback-heavy draft that might get overdrafted. Um I don't think anybody's going to be available via trade necessarily unless Caleb Williams or Drake may goes to a team with the quarterback already. Um, and then like they didn't even go for Lamar Jackson last year. So what now they're going to chase after some guy in free agency. It's a weird franchise. I don't think people want to hear it. It's a weird franchise. that does weird things. We know this Kyle Pitts had a touchdown today. Like if you were to be put in a time machine, 
And and people would say, well, things are normal now. Kyle Pitts scored a touchdown. Like, if you heard that on draft night three years ago, wouldn't you be like, that's, that's a weird thing for her to be saying? It's a weird organization. All right, what's next? Ben, my friend, asks Bill Belichick, fired or retired? I, this is – I can't believe how bad it's gotten. And, 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 and I've – you can probably do a super cut of, like, he's going to get an extra year, which I said three episodes ago. To maybe he has to, you know, maybe it's a graceful little, like, couple week goodbye to, like, I don't work. The next two games are against the Dolphins and the Bills. Like, I don't, they're going to be one and seven. And would you even trust Bill Belichick with the young quarterback if they go two and 15 and end up with a top quarterback? This is awful. And like it's a, it's they they're not capable of anything. Like even the thing that breaks my heart the most is that even if they, even if they end up, Belichick says, "All right, I'm back. I got my my good ideas back." Even if they do that, it's not going to matter. Like they don't have the talent on either side of the ball. They're not executing anything. I've never seen anything like this with a great coach. Not even like Shula had this because Shula is the only analogous guy and that was before i knew what the hell was going on like i think i vaguely remember like the local news like showing don shula's like last game or whatever but i don't really remember anything about that and so I, but it wasn't this i looked it up on pro football reference it wasn't this I, so i think it's retired but i'm getting a little closer every single week to fired um all right should we do the uh the rest of the games flynn Let's hit on the rest of the games. Up first, Justin Fields gets knocked out of the game as the Bears lose to the Vikings 19-13. Yeah, so it's a thumb injury. Jay Glazer said they popped it back in. He tried to play and couldn't. Um, I I do not. He's played enough football where it's like because I got this question a couple weeks ago where it's like, oh, shouldn't Bryce Young take a couple weeks out, you know, rest up, whatever. Like Justin Fields needs to find a groove. I want him playing if he can. It would be a real bummer if he misses significant time. The Panthers jumped out to a 14-0 start before the Dolphins' offense decided to show up and led them to a 42-21 win. Yeah. Um, I was a little worried about this for a while, but then the Dolphins, this is what good teams do. They just overran them. I saw a quote that Frank Reich had to say, Bryce is 100% our guy, which he probably shouldn't even be having to be asked about. Um, but this is a track meet. The Dolphins have so much depth, and it's going to be a while before they have a clunker again, like they did a couple weeks ago. And even if they play Buffalo again, Matt Milano's out. So, I don't know. The Jaguars return from London and roll over the Colts 37-20. Uh, so, I did not watch a second of this game. My heart is breaking for Anthony Richardson, who needs to play football. And that's the one thing he did not have a lot of froze in college. He looked very good in most cases. Uh, and we know about his athleticism and his development early on. He needs to play a bunch of football. He's not going to get it. Uh, I hate it. And uh, I hope he hope he gets all the, the reps he needs in the offseason and all that stuff. And he's ready to rock next September. CJ Stroud finally threw an interception, but still looks pretty legit as the Texans beat the Saints 20 to 13. First of all, the, uh, the interception he threw was not even a turnover because the Saints fumbled it um the saints outgained the texans 430 to 297 but scored 13 points going over three in the red zone red zone 
efficiency is becoming epidemic. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's defenses. I'll have to look into it midweek. Defenses getting more efficient. I don't know. I I honestly have no idea. But there's been an awful red zone performance pretty much in half the games uh, this week and, and this year. So it's worth noting the Saints are just not very good, but that that as I alluded to in the Falcons point, that that division is is an absolute disaster zone and someone's gonna make the playoffs out of it. The Rams offense was firing on all cylinders in the second half. They beat the Cardinals 26-9. Yeah, this was a multi-view game uh for me, and I, I didn't I didn't uh I didn't absorb too much. I will say that the Cardinals are getting closer towards what we thought they were going to be. The Cardinals, it is possible the Cardinals are who we thought they were. Jared Goff throws for 353 yards and two touchdowns as the Lions beat the Bucs 20-6. Here's something I do remember from me being a kid, is the Lions playing in the same division as the Bucs, and that being like a huge road trip for the entire division. Now, if you don't know uh, the, the geography of Florida, the reason so the Midwesterners live on the west coast of Florida and the East Coasters live on the east coast of Florida. And the reason being is that I-95 goes all the way down. So like I-95 is right about my house in uh in New York. Just t- take that straight down to Miami and stop in Palm Beach or whatever. West side of Florida, it's I-75. So you got Detroit, you got all those, all those places uh in the Midwest. And so it was always a big that I remember that was always a big thing in Central Florida is the the NFC central uh away team coming and visiting disney and bush gardens and all that stuff anyway that's not what i'm here to talk about um this is the lions i mean it's not a statement by any means because the bucks were bad but they're winning the games they should win and they're making it drama free and i didn't pay much attention even though the game was on multi-view the entire night uh entire afternoon I didn't pay much attention to it because they were doing exactly what they needed to do. Every time I looked up, Jared Goff was making a drama-free 11-yard pass to one of his targets. Um, the Jamison Williams thing, I was a little worried because he dropped that. Jamison Williams had dropped a pretty easy pass, but then two plays later, Jared Goff underthrows him and basically it, it falls into his lap for a touchdown. Like There's a chemistry here. There's a uh, an efficiency to it. I'm starting to really, really believe in this Lions team. They need to win they need to win against another NFC like massive contender for me to recalibrate my thinking. Remember the, the first win has a lot of, um, I, I don't want to diminish it by any means, but week one is always a little weird. And they didn't have Travis Kelsey and have Chris Jones in Kansas city, huge win, but like they're still on like tier 1.5 for me, but they're getting closer every single week. I'm lo- I'm looking at the schedule. Let's see. Let's see what they got here. Uh, They've got the Ravens next week. Fine. Raiders is a win. Chargers is a win. Bears is a win. Packers, Saints. They don't really, they don't really, they have a really easy schedule. They're going to win a lot of games. They have the Cowboys on December 30th, uh, which is, is whatever. They did lose to the Seahawks, but it is actually going to be hard for them to make the kind of statement that that I'm describing, but on the other hand, who cares? Like this isn't college. This isn't the BCS. This isn't the playoff. Like if they are the team we think they are, we'll see them in January and we'll see them deep into January. They can make the statement that. All right. Thank you to Flynn. Thank you to Miles. Uh, Packed week this week. Dominic Foxworth's going to join us. Jared Allen's going to join us. Scott Hanson's going to join us. Um, Those will be peppered throughout the week. I know Dominique will drop on Wednesday. One of my favorite people in media and football He's done some of the best 
uh, interviews anywhere. You know him from his shows. Uh, you know him from the time he played in the NFL. Uh, you know him from the time that I sat next to his parents at a Florida State-Maryland game uh, 20 years ago. And they thought I was a recruit, and it's the most athletic I've ever felt my entire life. Um, I will see you guys then. This has been This Is Football. See you soon.